Acts 19, we're in verses 21 through 41. Acts 19, 21 through 41. We'll read through the scripture and then we will make a few points about this. So after all this had happened, meaning all the things that we read about in the first 20 verses, the magic arts, you know, the sorcerers burning all their things, the repentance that's coming, all of those things that are going on in the city, the city is being affected tremendously. It says, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. When it says Asia here, it's what we would refer to as Asia Minor. And Ephesus is that capital area of this region, this Asia Minor, what is now part of Turkey and Greece and so on. But you know, that's what he's saying, he means when he says province of Asia. About that time, there rose a great disturbance about the way, meaning Christianity. The way, meaning the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If, then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen 
have a grievance against in anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, they can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. I think we need to have this city clerk in a number of our local governments. <laughs> but he displays a rather wise counsel for being just, you know, a city clerk, a person who is there in the city of Ephesus. And he gives wise counsel to the city and all the people dispersed. Now, about two years ago, we were studying the book, the epistle of Ephesians. And we learned that Ephesus was very well known for the worship of this goddess, who in the Greek is called Artemis, in the Roman, in the Roman mythology would have been called Diana. She was the goddess of the hunt and so on. But we talked about this and we, we considered these things and up there on the screen on the upper left is a depiction of what the city would have looked like at that time. And if you look at that, there's a, there's a port so they could come right you know, through the, by the water, they could come to the city. And sort of in the middle of that graphic is the theater, right? And then all the way up on the top, you know, by the, by the hill there is where the temple of Artemis is. And in the bottom right of that, what's on the screen, is a photo of the ruins of this city in modern day Turkey. So you could, you could have a whole visit to Turkey and go and see the ruins of Ephesus. So it's a you know, pretty, pretty impressive looking even today. So you can imagine what it was like in its heyday. And the temple of Artemis, oh, gentlemen, All right, the temple of Artemis was located in that, on the, on the, in the top portion of the city there. It was built in the 6th century before Christ, so it was a, you know, and it was a tremendous uh, building. It was a tremendous size, size. It was 425 feet long. It was 225 feet wide. It was double the size of the Parthenon. So remember when we were talking about the Areopagus, and I said that was a rocky outcrop, and close to that would have been the Acropolis, and on the Acropolis was the Parthenon. So we've heard of that, we've seen that. The Parthenon has kind of survived, so we are familiar with it. This building, this temple of Artemis, with the statue of Artemis inside it, was double the size of the Parthenon. A massive structure, and it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And then the theater in Ephesus... This is, you know, in, in that other depiction, you could see it. This is the, the photo of the ruins. I mean, this is just what we're seeing today in terms of what's there in Ephesus. The theater at Ephesus could seat about 25,000 people. This is a massive structure. This is, you know, this is a, a massive theater, and they would have these columns and all of these things that, that allowed you entry, and it was very impressive. And it's in this theater, so you can just picture this, that the whole crowd rushes in with all these people there. And for two hours, this is a rock concert. 
right? For two hours, they're in this theater shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, they're shouting together like this in this theater. It must have been something, right? So this is the environment. This is the context in which Paul is ministering. And he's staying there in Ephesus and speaking to the people and telling them about Jesus in the middle of this kind of thing going on. So in the middle of this kind of an environment, the fact that people were coming to Jesus, that they were becoming followers of the way, that Demetrius and the others are so you know, worked up, it tells us that only the power of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit could have brought about this kind of change in a city like Ephesus. So we think about things today and we look at our situation, oh, look at this, oh, the city is awful, oh, people, you know, there are no churches, churches are shutting down, all this is happening. There were no churches. There was nothing, there was no work of God. This was a city that was dedicated to Artemis and there were cult worship and there was all sorts of other things going on and there's all the sorcery. I mean, this is the hotbed the center of all of this, right? And into that environment, into that darkness, Paul and the others bring light. Just a few individuals, a few individuals led by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, speaking and declaring the truths of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the city starts to get transformed. The whole city starts to get impacted. Only the power of God could have done this. So there are two points I want to make from this passage in Acts 19, 21 through 41. And they're quite closely related to the things that we've been talking about in previous weeks. But the first thing is this. The way of Jesus, the way, the followers of the way, the way of Jesus is a threat to the way of the world. When Demetrius, the silversmith, rallied the people against Paul, he made two points. He said, number one, what Paul is saying and doing is a direct threat to our income because it will affect the worship of Artemis and our way of life. We're making money off of Artemis. And Paul is going around saying, Gods made by human hands are not gods. How dare he say that? But if he continues to do this, our income and our way of life will be impacted. The second thing he says is, what Paul is saying and doing will cause Artemis to be robbed of her majesty, her divinity. Demetrius is essentially concerned about the same two points that cause people to react adversely to the gospel message today. Because what people react to when they hear the message of Jesus and the message about the way, when they're reacting to that today, same two points. Point number one, they're saying, if this gospel message is true, it will directly or indirectly affect my income and my way of life. And they won't say that in those terms. And they're not going to say to you, well, it'll affect my materialism. It'll affect my consumerism. 
It'll affect my self-centeredness. It'll affect my narcissism. It, it, they're not going to say those things. But when they're un, just unconsciously or subconsciously or you know, without words even articulating is, oh, this message of the gospel is going to affect my way of life. And the second thing that they're saying is, if this message of the gospel is, is true, it will indirectly or directly affect my worldview. How do I see the world? What do I consider as divine or not divine? What do I consider as important? Which goddess is going to lose her divinity because of this gospel message? This gospel message threatens my worldview. I've set up my worldview and understanding based on a whole bunch of things. And I say, oh, this is the way it is. And now here comes the gospel message and it shakes it. And people know it. They recognize that. You see, for many people in the world, they're responding to the gospel message by adding it into their worldview is non-threatening. They say, oh, you, Jesus? Oh, sure. But when you say, I'm not just telling you about a way. I'm telling you about the way. The way. The life. The truth. Absolute. Exclusive. Found only in Jesus. Oh, now it shakes the worldview. Now it shakes their perspective. Now it's like, oh, no, no, no. I've got it all worked out. I know who I worship. I know what God I'm serving. You see, when Paul was preaching and teaching in Ephesus, and then later on as we read this in the book of Ephesians and what we considered even two years ago, he's really speaking about identity. He's really saying, do you know who you are? Because if who you are is defined by Artemis, then that's who you will be. Because what we worship, what we pursue, what we think is of priority will define who we are. How we think, how we, how we speak, how we act, what we give for. You know, people have made this comment before, show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you what the priorities of your life are, right? These days we can't really ask for a checkbook, nobody's got a checkbook anymore and nobody's carrying a calendar. So, but the point is, tell me, Show me what you pursue. Tell me what you give to. Tell me where you spend your time. And I'll show you. And I'll, uh, and I'll be easily able to tell you what your priorities in life are. Who are your gods? What are the things that you worship? What is the thing that you're giving yourself to? You know, the Bible speaks about giving and offering our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. We give our bodies as living sacrifices for lots of other things. You know, and again, it could be something that is a very worthwhile pursuit. It could be something that is a very worthless pursuit. But we give ourselves to these things. We give our time. We give our attention. We give our effort. We give our health. We give generously to all of those things because we consider them important. Paul was saying, if you know Jesus... If you are the followers of the way, if you're walking in his steps and walking in his way, then your identity is defined completely different 
from what the world would say it. Because when we worship Jesus, when we are deriving our identity from Him based on biblical truth, based on foundational truth, you see, it's not like the city clerk who says, oh, these facts are undeniable. Artemis, her image fell from the sky. And we are the custodians, we are the safeguard, we are the, the, the gatekeepers of, of you know, the things of Artemis. He says, those are the truths. Well, guess what? When we understand who Jesus is and we give our lives to him, when we pursue him, when we follow him, we start to understand that the foundational truths that are in our lives now that define who we are, are these. That we were chosen, not because of what we did. We were chosen by God before even the foundation of the world. And then we were adopted. We were separated from him by sin, but he adopted us. He brought us into his family. He made us his children. And he said, you are precious to me, dearly loved. And then we have been accepted, not just given a position. Okay, you're a child. You know, you're the stepchild. No, you have been brought in and you are beloved to me. I love you. That's the way that the Lord brings us in. And when he brings us in in this way, he's saying, look, I'm doing this not because I have left you in the state that you were in with your rags and your sin and your faults. No, I've brought you in and I have redeemed you. I've paid the price. I've cleansed you. I have washed you clean. I've made you white as snow. I have made you full of light. I have given you my life. And you are now set free. You have been redeemed. And then he says, you have been forgiven of your sin. It's not just that you have been washed one time and that's it. And, you know, wonderful. But you have been forgiven of your sins. The penalty that you would have had to pay for those sins has been erased. And I have paid the price so that there is, there is anything that comes in the future. You can come to me. You can repent. You can ask me to forgive you. And I will forgive you. And he says... After all of this, guess what? You are also inheritors of the kingdom of God. I will have you in eternity with me. I will have you inherit the kingdom of God with all that there is to that. This is the identity that God gives us. What could the world match? What could the world offer? And so the message that Paul is preaching to the Ephesians, the message that he's speaking to them is, there is nothing to be gained in all of these other pursuits. You are children of God. And here's what God is giving you. Here's what God is offering. This kind of preaching, this kind of teaching, this kind of living out our salvation, of working out our salvation in this way, this kind of truth, it prompts an adverse reaction from our flesh from the world and the devil. Because it is a convicting call to die to self. So our flesh rebels against it. I don't want to die. I mean, my flesh is very strong. Right? My flesh wants what it wants. My flesh desires for to be satisfied, to be satiated in every single way that my flesh desires. I don't want to die to self. I don't want to crucify my sinful nature with its passions and desires. I want what I want. 
So the flesh rebels against this message. And the world, the world rebels against this message because the world is trying to go in a certain way. There's a certain worldview. There's a certain path, a certain direction. And now here we are coming along and saying, no, you got to turn around. You have to repent. You can't keep going in this way. You've got to turn around. And the world says, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Not just the fact that it's not satisfying my own desires, but I've been running this course. I'm going in this direction. And now you're coming along and telling me that I've got to turn around? No. So the world rebels against a call to walk in a way that is counter to the pursuits of the world. And the devil certainly resists this message. Because when the message of the gospel goes out, it is clearly saying, God, God is sovereign. God is the one in authority. God is the one we need to give our worship to. God is the one against whom, if we rebel, we face a consequence. But when we repent, he joins us to himself. And so the devil and all of his that are aligned to him resist this message. And so there's this kind of adversity. There's this kind of reaction. So the question is, so how should we live? What should we do? Well, it brings us to the second point. That the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is to bring light versus cursing the darkness. You see, the way of Jesus is a threat to the world and they will react. But when they react, the way of Jesus is not to say, I look at all that darkness in you. Look at these things that you are doing. Let me tell you about Jesus. No. The way, the way of Jesus is to bring light and to let the light drive out the darkness. Because if you notice here, it's quite remarkable that when the whole city is in this riot, in this uprising against Paul, what the city clerk says, he quiets the crowd by saying, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. Do you understand? That for all this period of time that Paul is preaching and teaching and saying things, they couldn't bring an accusation against him that he had blasphemed Artemis. That's the defense. The city clerk is making a defense on Paul's behalf. And he says, you're bringing these guys here, but they didn't rob the temple and they didn't blaspheme the goddess. So this is like a legal matter. Let's take it to the courts. I mean, there's nothing to say about this. Do you realize? Do you understand? Paul and the other believers in Ephesus, their focus was not on blaspheming Artemis. Their focus is not on saying, Artemis, what do you mean? How can you possibly worship this God? When he was in Athens, he doesn't say, how could you possibly do all these things? He keeps bringing the light. The focus is not on showing why Artemis is wrong. Their focus is on showing how Jesus is right. They're presenting the gospel message with signs and wonders following that attest to the power of this message. They are presenting the gospel and allowing the Holy Spirit 
to bring true conviction and true repentance. He doesn't, it doesn't even say that Paul said to the sorcerers, bring all your scrolls and burn them here. He just preaches the gospel message without compromise, sensitively, in context, with compassion and care for the people, without blaspheming what they're talking about. And in that action, in that way, as the Holy Spirit starts to move, the Holy Spirit, Paul's essentially getting out of the way. Right? He just is, is saying, Holy Spirit, come, come. And he's really just getting out of the way. And when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit rushes in, oh, conviction takes place. Judgment takes place. Repentance takes place. The Holy Spirit does his work. Paul and the others present the gospel that so transforms the mind, the worldview of the people that are hearing it. And it so transforms the will, the actions, and the lifestyle. Their way of living. If you have known a certain way of living, if you are in a certain cultural context and you are 10 years old or you are 90 years old and you've lived a certain way all your life and suddenly something comes along and you give up all of those things. You give up everything that you used to do, the way that you held on to it and you say, oh, I'm, I'm, all of that, I'm, I'm you know, putting that aside. That has to be pretty convin- convincing. That has to be pretty convicting. That has to be pretty powerful. But that's the nature of the gospel. That's the nature of the word of God. That it has this power to transform us. Transform our thinking. Transform our behavior. Transform the will. So that even the livelihood of those who, even those in that city whose livelihood was impacted by this gospel, they're willing to do what this gospel says. They were making money off of these things. The people were living this way. But now the gospel starts to transform. You see, Paul and the apostles, Paul and these folks that are ministering in these areas, the church, when they are reaching out to people, they're not cursing the darkness. They're bringing the light. They simply bring the light. They're filled with light. When they start to speak and they open their mouth, light starts to shine out of them. Really. And darkness has no chance. Darkness cannot stay. Darkness cannot remain. So the question for us is what do we do? And we respond to this word And we apply this word by saying, Oh Lord God, help me to bring light. Help me to bring light. In the midst of darkness, you know, not just that it was light, now it's become dark, oh, we're trying to make it light again. Not even. In the midst of darkness, there was never light there. There was no knowledge of God. There was nothing that was turning towards God. How do you deal with it? You say, oh, terrible situation. 
Or do you say, no, Lord, let me be the bearer of the good news. Let me, <clears throat> let me be a messenger of God. Let me go forward with your truth. Let me speak to those that would hold to undeniable facts about what they believe in and not try to oppose them about that, but show them what is true. Let me show them Jesus. Let me live my life in such a way that when they look to me, they will say, this person has something different. And I want to know why. You know, yesterday we were uh, praying together and even in the Q&A session we were talking together and right at the end, I said, you know, our goal as a church is not to be known for all our programs. I, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward. I, I was telling folks, you know, as we continue to do our family nights and everything else, we're going to release albums. We're going to do stuff. You know, let's do it. We'll go for it. We'll be known. You know, let's do it. Go for it, right? I mean, have all the programs. Do, do great things. Be, be, uh, let people be aware of those things. Sure. But our goal is not that we would be known for those things. Our goal is that we would be known as people who are reflecting the light of Jesus. Who are reflecting the light of Jesus. Who let that light shine in such a way that darkness cannot abide. That who do that with such love, with such compassion that anybody could come in. That whoever they are, whatever their background, whatever their condition, when they walk in the door, we wouldn't see the darkness. We would say, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to shine some light. What a wonderful opportunity to tell them about Jesus. What a wonderful opportunity to let them know that they can have new life in Jesus. That's what we want to be known for. That's what we're doing in these weeks and months and years and 32 years. We want to say, Lord God, you establish us. You build us up. You cause us to be like you and to do like these this early church, church did. To be like Paul and others in the city of Ephesus. When the city comes up in an uproar. Oh Lord God. Let the city. Let the people of the city bear witness to what we are doing. Let them say. Oh these people are not blasphemers. These people. Oh they, they are speaking a word of grace. They are speaking a word of care. Their actions display their love. And when people encounter that, when they, when they start to pay attention to that, when they are alerted to that, when they are arrested in the path that they're going in and they suddenly see that there is another way, oh, then true freedom comes. Deliverance comes. The work of the Lord Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit starts to move. So this morning, I want to challenge you that you respond to this word by saying, oh God, help me to understand this word. Help me to appropriate this word. Help me to find my identity in you. Help me to know who I am as a child of God. But help me also to evaluate. Have I set up gods and goddesses in my life? Are there things that I worship 
Are there things that I pursue? Is there anything that's taking higher priority in my life than you? And if so, Lord, help me. Help me that I would pay attention to your truth. Help me that I would pay attention to the word of God that can transform me. Let me live in the light as a child of light. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that your call to us is so wonderful. And Lord, right now, even just for a few minutes this morning, we want to reflect on your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's how the word describes it. You have said that I have shown my light on the way, on the path. And I've given you my word, which is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And I will lead you. I will guide you. I will direct you. I'm not just shining a light. I am the light. I'm the one that's with you always. You never have to be afraid of what to do next, where to step, because I will shine the light and show you. I will drive out the darkness. Lord God, I thank you for that promise. I thank you, Lord, for that blessing. I thank you for that privilege that we have as children of God. What a wonderful grace and mercy you have shown us. Thank you so much. Oh, hallelujah. Father, today, through the rest of this day, this week, Lord, through the, all the things that would come, good, bad, just happening around us, when our own flesh, when the world around us, and when the devil tries to come against, help us, Lord, to take a stand. Help us to stand firm. Help us to be reliant on you alone. Help us, Lord, to glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus, for these wonderful stories, for the wonderful record in the Bible of what your children did, how they behaved, what they said. Thank you, Lord, that these provide such wonderful insights for us. Help us to live according to the way in your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.